0: This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Hello and welcome to Disaster Girls podcast about disaster movies. I'm your host, Amanda Smith. And with me today, we have repeat guest, one of like my favorite not just Twitter follows, not just writers, but generally speaking, humans. One of my favorite humans is here with us. So favorite human, will you please introduce yourself and say what movie you've brought with us today?
1: Sure thing. Hi, I'm Jamel Bowie. I'm a columnist for the New York Times uh, opinion section. That's my day job. And uh, today, uh, yeah, we, I guess we're talking about the core, um, that the 2000, 2001, 2003, 2003. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is a um, 20 the- year
0: old movie, if you can believe it. <laughs>
1: The 2003 disaster flick starring Aaron Eckhart, uh, uh Hillary Swank, DeWare Lindo, Stanley Tucci. I mean, you can kind of just go down the list of actors in this movie. It's kind of insane uh, yeah. how stacked the cast is. But yeah. We're talking the core. Yeah. The, the only core. way in is out <laughs> or the only way out is in. Yeah. I think, I think the, the only way line. out
0: is in. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've been a core um Stan. I, it's been like, at least a third of my personality since 2003 so for me it's not unusual to hear me say holy shit the Corps is one of the greatest films of all time but it is unusual to hear anybody who's semi-normal say that on the internet <laughs> and jamel you a few weeks ago how did you come to the core how did this because had you seen it before was this like a refresher what happened
1: so I think last year, earlier this year, I have I no longer know yeah. uh, when anything happens, if it's like longer than a month ago. So at some point in the past year, I just out of curiosity, I think I was browsing HBO Max and I was like, I want to watch something. And The Core came up and I was like, oh, I've never actually seen The Core. I've seen Deep Impact, Armageddon. I've seen all of the disaster movies of this period, but I'd never actually seen The Core. So I was like, let me watch The Core. And, um, you know, the just to say it straight up the core is a very stupid movie the premise is stupid <laughs> yeah. uh it begins stupidly <laughs> <laughs> i think it begins with like a guy having a heart attack uh or his pacemaker stopping i think that's how it begins yep. and then he drops dead and he goes from there so uh it's a dumb movie but it was like it's so perfectly structured in its dumbness as i was watching it i was like this is this is it's stupid it's the movie seems to realize that all of this is very dumb, but it's played pretty straight and it's actually kind of like really entertaining um, because you have all of these great actors giving these great performances. Uh, And so I, you know, 20 minutes in to watching the core for the first time, I was like, I am, I am keyed into this movie. I like it a lot. And uh, that only continued from there. I think also I had been experiencing a little superhero movie fatigue uh, and it is genuinely refreshing to just go back to this earlier generation of blockbusters and be like yeah this this may be is is it the highest quality thing objectively whatever that means but it's fun and kind of inventive and kind of silly and very much enjoyable and again it, it moves pretty quickly it moves um uh pretty nicely and so yeah i was like totally in and um I've been wanting to talk about this movie uh, for a while. Rewatched it the morning of our record here, got up at 8 a.m. and put on the core, and uh, had a great time again.
0: That's, I mean, that's my version of coffee, is, you know, <laughs> the best part of waking up is seeing Delroy Lindo deliver a stirring monologue before walking to his death at 5,000 degrees Celsius. Like, that's it. It's, which, like, Delroy is at least a third of why I love this movie. But, yeah, it, it is. You're right. It's a tremendously stupid premise um but that which is like what makes it great because all disaster movies ultimately unless it's really really grounded unless we're looking at like the norwegian movie the wave uh, they're mostly really ridiculous and dumb every premise the poseidon adventure a giant wave tips a boat over and you gotta go climb up to safety it's all terrible it's but what's so great is one like you said that they play it to everyone's in and committed and straight and then two it it just goes with it. It's like, yeah, this is gonna be dumb, but we're not gonna try to make you think that it's anything but dumb. And we're just gonna keep you moving until we get to the end.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. It, um
0: Yeah. It's I I do, I do love the first two, those first 20 minutes of the movie does it because it opens with everybody who's pacemaker in like a five block radius stops, which is a surprising number of people apparently in that city. I it, it like half of the cars in that city suddenly stop, but it's great and it's harrowing and all that. And then the bird sequence. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but and, yeah the birds the birds are losing their minds there's that bus driver yeah. one bird flies in and he's like oh my god what do i do can't uh, function he's he's no sully sullenberger so he just kind of rides <laughs> off of the a... <laughs> you're right if
0: sully sullenberger had been in that situation like no one's more equipped to be in that situation than sully and where was yeah.
1: he was there, like there were 40 souls on that bus yeah uh, and this bus driver couldn't couldn't save him so uh the birds cause a lot of uh, havoc. What else? And then we also get sort of a cut we get um we're introduced to two characters mm-hmm. Hillary Swank's pilot yeah and Bruce Greenwoods sort of like pilot commander type and they are landing a space shuttle uh in the middle of Los Angeles which oh. is, again is a <laughs> is another signal to the viewer that like people people this is gonna be a stupid ride.
0: It's going to be ridiculous, but it's a great sequence when they come in over L.A. And then the they have the sonic boom right as Sean Green hits a home run at in Dodger Stadium. Why? Because you can like I <laughs> you just because you can. And then they land the full they land the full shuttle in the L.A. River. And I even watching that sequence now, I'm just like, this is I will I will just watch this sequence as a YouTube video. It's great. It's compelling. It's fun and silly. The moment when that shuttle is two inches from that welder's nose, <laughs> because obviously there's everyone, you know, you got to clear out all the welders who are working on the LA under all the LA bridges, except for one who can't hear. It's great. It's just, it's nonsense though. It's absolutely ridiculous, but that's, that's part of it. You want spectacle. Like I was thinking about the, con the, the, the way that we, we watch like Marvel movies and superhero movies versus disaster movies where we suddenly expect disaster movies to be realistic or grounded or that the science has to match while we're watching marvel movies that backfill any amount of information we've been given with completely new information and also they're superhumans it's a lot like that we're willing to suspend disbelief on for certain
1: things or or just i mean just um you know this being i guess the second time i Mm -hmm. watched it, i was paying a little more attention to just like the structure of it and there's a lot to be said for a movie for this kind of spectacle blockbuster that really doesn't spend a ton of time holding your hand. Yeah. Like it gives you if you these these two immediate sequences are just sort of like crazy things happening. Um, uh, uh, very, you know, you know, the movie knows that, you know, that you are watching the mm-hmm. core and that the movie is about the, the center of the earth. And so kind of runs with that. And it's like, we don't need to do a ton of explaining of what's happening here. We can show you these spectacles being sure to introduce characters in ways that aren't simply a person walking on screen and being like, Oh, hello, I'm your, I'm your pilot, but seeing them do the thing. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it feels like very simple in terms of just sort of like structure and screenwriting, but somehow like it's missing from a lot of stuff. like, you don't, you're not introducing Hillary Swank and Bruce Greenwood with with a lot of exposition. You're just kind of showing them do the thing that they're going to do in the movie in a different situation. Um,
0: yeah, the, the way that this movie sets up things you're going to see later on and behaviors you're going to see later on is really efficient.
1: And I think, I think the, the efficiency, uh, is part of what makes it such an enjoyable and rewatchable movie. Like you don't feel like you're getting bogged down in anything. Like I love twister Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, but the middle of that movie really sags uh, quite a bit before they get to the big, giant uh, twister. There's a reason I feel like everyone remembers them eating breakfast or eating the steak and eggs, A, because of steak and eggs look incredible, yeah. <laughs> but 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 yeah, but B, because there's not really anything else happening in the movie at that point. And so you're just sort of like, oh, yeah, the steak and yeah. eggs. Uh, but uh, the court doesn't really have that issue whatsoever. Like everything moves efficiently. And every kind of segment it its own distinct thing. Okay, we have, you know, we have the introduction of the disaster. And then we have the uh, assembling the crew part mm-hmm. of the film. Then we have the kind of like Manhattan Project for burrowing into the earth part. And then we have the, they actually going into the earth. And then we have like the conclusion. Yeah. And it's it's all very well defined. Yeah. Uh And easy to, to understand.
0: It's because in, it's interesting. Cause it's almost like the movie has, you know, little sort of sub movies in it because you do like you front movie front loads to the disaster. You've got the heart attack, the birds and then the shuttle disaster all basically back to back to back. And that's the first 30 minutes. And then we don't get a lot of disaster after that externally. Like we do get Italy. Um, having an electro- electrical storm.
1: <laughs> I really Great like that sequence. Scene. Great scene.
0: I love it. I love the lightning blowing up the Coliseum. Yeah. Like, go big. You know, if you're going to do the things where the, like, we're like, you know what? Science goes out the window. We're going with guts here. Go big with it. Oh, and and-
1: the, the old Italian guys in the cafe being like, watching soccer, being like, what's happening? <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> there's such... Uh, the, the the country of Italy watching this should be deeply offended by how they're represented <laughs> in this film. It's just, it, it's amazing. I, I Those were not Italian guys. Those were guys who were told to act like they're on the front of a marinara bottle. It's great stuff. And then you've got San Francisco getting destroyed by just like too much sun, which is the technical term, I think. So you got those two disasters, but those are spaced out way more. It's almost to the point where you kind of, we've moved on from disasters to a degree. The movie set it up, told you what the threat was. And then kind of just like lets it ride. And then it becomes a completely different movie. And then, like you said, it becomes a different movie again. And it's interesting because those deaths kind of mark the midpoint. Yeah. Uh, The death, the Bruce Greenwood death is the first one, the first big like character death. And that starts right around the one hour mark. Uh, And what's interesting is actually like that's kind of if you look at the 70s movies, just to be like a nerd about screenwriting for a second, if you look at 70s movies, generally speaking, the midpoint was when the disaster hit. So, like, Earthquake, uh, the exception is, um, yeah, like, there there are exceptions to it. an Adventure happens earlier, but, like, if you watch Earthquake, it happens right at the midpoint. A lot of the time, that's when they would unleash the the disaster. And it's interesting, because, like, in this, it starts to unleash the emotional component at the midpoint, when you're like, this has been a fun ride, and all of a sudden, it starts going down the scary path of and people can die. And then, at that point, they just start killing people at a 10-minute clip. Oh, yeah, I mean unbelievable
1: the, the, it's as if the movie transitions from being a disaster picture to like a horror movie where it's the mm-hmm. earth trying to kill everyone it can
0: yeah yeah just and just eating bites and bites and bites of virgil in the process it's the the sharp turn to and now everyone except for the two characters who are supposed to kiss are going to die is quite dramatic but it's effective as hell
1: and i'll say maybe i was should have been paying closer attention but the first time i saw it i actually was not confident that Hilary Swank was going to survive the film mm-hmm. like because they because it is kind of a big move to kill off Bruce Greenwood, who oh, is yeah. like, a, like a a big character actor. Uh, so you kill him off. I, okay, the French guy gets killed off. But then you, you kill off Delroy Lindo and it's like, okay, who mm-hmm. isn't you're killing off? Not just like minor people that you're not going to know, but sort of like legit big character actors who don't normally get killed off in movies. And so like, who's going to come next? And so I was, there was a moment the first time I watched it, I was like, is Hillary Swank going to make it out of this movie? Because it seems like the movie is more than willing to knock off. um, Or is Aaron Eckhart going to survive?
0: Yeah, that's always been my, like, there's, there's more, even re-watching it for the millionth time, you watch it and like, there's genuine jeopardy here for Aaron Eckhart. Like, I could, you could see a world in which Hillary Swank is the only surviving member and she's the one who they pull up off the, off the seafloor at the end. Like, absolutely is possible. Right. He, yeah, it's, he, if he didn't have hero, if he were wasn't the hero, he'd be dead. Yeah. If it's, he's probably.
1: If his jaw were a little less square, then they would have yeah. been like, yeah, we got to kill that guy off.
0: That it's honestly the the safest thing you can have in an emergency is an extremely well-defined job. <laughs> it's true. Good bone structure will save you in an, in an emergency because you know, the world just the, the, the hungry center of the earth will know.
1: Yes. Yep. Yep.
0: But yeah, it's it, the, the Bruce Greenwood death too, like to get right into the deaths. Cause that's like the mood, the disasters of this movie to me are almost less like they're fun and they're fun to talk about, but the deaths are so good and so compelling and such the like, driving structure of the second half of the film and i love that aspect of it um because like if you look at i mean i've watched armageddon now only once but the deaths don't feel as much of a centerpiece they feel like collateral
1: yeah yeah exactly. a lot of the time yeah
0: you know there's nothing and the deaths aren't they don't each get their own hero moment death sometimes they're just kind of like the step out a landmine death where you're like oh shit that guy's dead now here every single one of them gets a hero death which is impressive and also I think speaks to the underlying message of the movie. But do you have a favorite of the deaths?
1: So the Greenwood death is quite good um, for the simple reason that he doesn't just get hit by sort of like the debris that like punctures his suit and hits him in the head. And God, that's what kills him. But then he falls into the lava, which feels mm-hmm. like gratuitous and very funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's, it's what's, great. What's yeah. Very- the,
0: the, just the tip backward.
1: What's especially funny about it is he technically dies when he gets hit by the debris, right? But yeah. you don't know, but the the inter- the monitor in the ship in uh, in Virgil uh that is monitoring everyone's life signs doesn't shut off until he falls into the lava. It's when he falls into the lava that the <laughs> ship is like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The ship was probably like, well, you know, maybe there's a chance, and it's like, oh no! The ship watched him tip backward. Like, well, now we're done. I mean, he falls into that lava. It's very Terminator Two. Uh, that guy just submerges into. I mean, I, it's which like that whole sequence of being inside the geode is really cool, but the lava death is 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 truly tremendous. I agree. The
1: the other one that uh, caught my eye this time uh, this watch mm-hmm. was the the French the French character was his name. Oh, Serge. Serge, yes. Um, uh, he gets there ejecting part of the ship and then he gets caught in it. And I guess the pressure crushes it. And I guess it caught my eye this time because of the uh, recent uh, submersible disaster. Yeah. Uh, And I was just thinking, first of all, I mean, the physics of being far under the earth kind of just disappear at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Like the movie's like, it doesn't matter. But uh, I could, I, I could not help but think about the Titanic thing. And I was like, yeah, that would have happened. Oh, yeah. Very quickly, like as soon as it got depressurized, it just would have been like zip.
0: Yeah, that's it's so fun. The I also was thinking of Open Sea, and and when I was watching that this time, because I've never before been like that, does that's not how that would work. And now watching, I'm like, oh, his death would actually be much less painful than this. This is an extremely like we're watching Surge be crushed to death on camera, and it's brutal. Um, and it's actually, yeah, he probably would have had one of the more merciful deaths in retrospect. Like, just, it would have been instant. Yeah. Which, yeah.
1: Instantly vaporized.
0: It, instantly va- vaporized. It, Which is, fun. like, this is now, you know, the second movie in a few weeks where I've been like, oh, thank you OpenSea for giving me information on how, because the Meg 2 also involves a depressurization situation where I'm like, huh, now I know what would happen. This is fascinating. That's horrible. Everything about <laughs> this is awful. It, but Yeah, the... God, Serge's death is so upsetting <laughs> even without the kids even without the when we see his notebook afterward with the child drawing his you know papa drawing with the photo of his kids it's still really upsetting to watch a man be crushed to death on screen while his best friend yells at him through the monitor
1: it's so one thing i appreciate about all of this is that they all kind of come immediately after the character expresses some sort of like pleasant sentiment or has some sort mm-hmm. of triumph and so Greenwood is like oh the laser works my job is done and then it mm-hmm. gets offed um, Surge had just told Aaron Eckhart's character they're like hey you only have to save three people and yeah. that's how we're doing and then he gets crushed to death Um and it's, it's like the pattern that's the pattern for everyone everyone's death comes after it's very it's it's actually very cliche but it works yeah. Um, everyone's death comes after they have a minor triumph. What besides Greenwood and Surge? What are what are the ones that sit up to you?
0: I mean, I Delroy Lindo's death in this because he is so like Braz is such a great character. Like from the minute Braz comes on screen, he's just the best character. I love him so much. Everything about everything he does, I want to know. Um, I I'm on his side hundred percent of like, yeah, you should punch Zimsky way more. Like, go for it. Deck him a few more times. I'm on board with all of this. So his death, which is I think, like, the one truly... Everyone has heroic moments. He's the only one who has a truly brave moment. Because he's the only character who voluntarily is like, I know I am going to die if I do this thing that needs to be done. Everybody else, it happens by accident, or you know, circumstances beyond their control, and they accept their death. You know, um, Zimski accepts he's going to die when he gets pinned down. Um, Serge does sacrifice himself in order to get the notebooks and the timers for the bombs out. But Brass is the only one who's like, no, I have to, someone's going to have to die to do this and it's going to be me. And I know how that death is going to be painful. And he goes and does it anyway. And so like that alone is a like one of my favorite aspects of it. But then the actual sequence of watching him and then his glasses crack and you're just like, it's harrowing and it's dramatic and he is my favorite character in it so it's really hard to watch but on top of it all you do have like because this is maybe the best probably i would say the best disaster cast since twister like in terms of when you look back 20 years later you're like oh this was every major character actor of the last 20 years and we just didn't know we were getting this accumulation of them amazing so you know you've got this incredible character actor giving it a great performance and on top of that it's a good character like man what more can you ask for yeah you know
1: Delroy Lindo's character uh is so good first of all you don't often get the disheveled scientist character just being like a black guy and I feel like that's a little underrated like you there are like I guess like black nerd characters these days but they tend to be sort of like younger they're still like young and kind of cool um, yeah, that's like part of the whole thing. Like, this is a big nerd, but he's like young, kind of cool. But this sort of disheveled scientist character, yeah. um, who isn't particularly cool, uh, isn't particularly handsome, just sort of like you know, he's the science guy, uh, and he's not very, you know, charismatic or whatever. To give that to a black actor is, I think, actually it's super interesting and, um, yeah, uh, cuts against the kind of roles that like black actors of uh Lindo's generation were getting at the time. So that that is interesting. But then he's also I think you're right that he's maybe the best character in the movie and he has mm-hmm. like the most chemistry with everyone. His chemistry oh, sure, with yeah. Stanley Tucci is outrageous. Um the scene when he's when he's going in to sacrifice and they like clasp hands and Lindo like rubs his hand a little is like such yeah. a really sm- a very small thing but like it was it's perfect. It's like a perfect little moment.
0: Yeah. It there, there was the one, like to your point, yeah, he gets to be eccentric, which is incredible for like a black actor in this in these kinds of movies because normally they end up as kind of the comic relief yeah. versus being like the eccentric and like necessary authority, which he is. Like, it's his ship. He has designed basically all of it with the subplot of Stanley Tucci's uh Zinsky used to be his partner and screwed him over and stole a bunch of his research. Um, which is a whole like if you read the script, there's a whole sub, there's more of it. We we would have gotten more of the subplot of why the two of them hate each other, which would have been so fun to see in retrospect. like, man, you just get to see Stanley Tucci and Delroy Lindo face off against each other in their in in absolutely huge characters because Stanley Tucci is having the time of his fucking life <laughs> in this film. He's having like Stanley Tucci is in it never. As a character actor, I, I've never seen The Lovely Bones, so I can't speak to him as a as a you know pedophile serial killer. But otherwise, Stanley Tucci seems to when he plays a character when he's doing his character actor thing, no one seems to be having a better time doing the role than he is. Like no one seems to be having a better time being in a film than Stanley Tucci is anytime he's on screen, and it's definitely true in this movie. That hairpiece, the chain smoking, the tape recorder. He's fucking set the to fact have a that good ride.
1: His, his death, when he dies, he's, like, still recording himself. And then <laughs> he's like, what am I doing? And just starts, like, laughing. And then yeah. the nuke goes off. Perfect.
0: Perfect. Great moment. Like, I love his nicotine fit that he has about uh, in the movie. Oh, yeah. When he just <laughs> loses his shit. And you're just like, how much of this is him being afraid he's going to die? And how much of this is that he just wasn't given enough nicotine patches to get him through this 36-hour ride? Because he absolutely... Like, He's been so level the whole film. And then when they realize, so there's this like obviously there is the the threat is that the core hasn't restarted. They're gonna try and do it with nukes. Um, because the answer is always try using nukes in a disaster movie. It's a great cheat code. Um, but then also there's like the device that caused the core to stop in the first place and it's gonna restart. And so up topside, the government's going to use that thing and use the the device to restart the core, which will obviously kill anybody who's inside the core. And Stanley Tucci loses his fucking mind to the point where Braz punches him in the face to shut him up. It actually does seem necessary <laughs> because he's having such a bad nicotine fit. It's, it's again, it's Stanley Tucci looking like he's having the most fun possible.
1: Absolutely. I'm trying to think, because you, you, you said something... Uh, It's just something that reminded me it's probably worth for listeners saying that um, kind of how we get to how we get to our characters being hurtling towards the core of the earth is the core is stopped. We established this. We established this. Uh, The government is trying to figure out what's happening. They get a bunch of scientists together. There was a wonderful scene, one of my favorite in the movie, where Aaron Eckhart is explaining to the military Exactly what's happened, and mm-hmm. it the scene. I mean, first of all, I mean the first thing it was worth noting is that they're like in the, in the Situation Room. Um, or who is it, Richard? Um,
0: um Richard Jenkins. Richard
1: Jenkins. Uh, again, Richard Jenkins is this movie. Uh yeah. Who is our main military guy? Uh, is is asking for an explanation. They have a full fruit spread in the uh, in the Situation Room, which is is relevant to what happens next. Aaron Eckhart is like, gentlemen, the core has stopped. And everyone like harumps, like, oh, and then he grabs like an apple or a peach or something. It's like, this is what's happening. And he uses the peach to demonstrate. And then he says, this is what's going to happen to us in a year. And then he grabs like some sort of aerosol can and a lighter and sets it Mm -hmm. on fire. Um, I think he he punctuates the whole performance with. uh, It's okay to throw up. I know I did. And yeah. Yep.
0: And that does it. I, lo- I love the, the flaming peach sequence, which, by the way, Zimski is helping him on without ever once questioning why he needs an air freshener or a lighter, because like Josh asks for it because he, he grabs the peach and then he asks for the lighter and air freshener. Zimski grabs the lighter and air freshener and happily steps up to n- demonstrate. I don't know if they planned that in advance, but I'd like to think that they did. I'd like to think they coordinated their little demo, but also... Such a great visual while also being completely unhinged.
1: <laughs> it's 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 the kind of moment that like I, I I love this scene and I love that this moment mm-hmm. because it really gets to as we've been discussing the two aspects of this film. First of all, it's dumb as hell, it's very stupid. The whole conceit is stupid, but the movie takes it. Totally seriously, like none of this is played for laughs. There's no like mm-hmm. kind of winking. It's all sort of like, yes, the military, we have to explain to the military that the core of the earth has stopped and everything yeah. is going to end. Uh, and then it's very quick. It's like a five minute scene. And then we move on to kind of like, well, how are we going to do that? How are we, we going to restart the earth? And then we meet Deborah Lindo's character and we meet his ship. They, he explains the ship, explains how it works, explains that it's made up of a material called unobtainium. Um, mm-hmm. I want to I want to believe that James Cameron saw this. Uh...
0: <laughs> so here's the thing about unobtainium. Okay. Unobtainium, because yes, it does predate Avatar. So technically, we get dibs on this as as Terranot fans. We get dibs on unobtainium. Unobtainium's a scientific like joke term to refer to metals that don't exist. Like basically, this is a magic metal. So when he... it's actually a really good science inside joke when. He, they're like, what do you call this stuff? And Braz is like, well, the real name has twenty-seven syllables, but I call it unobtainium because he created the unobtainium, an unobtainable metal like that actually works. Versus, and he very clearly, you watch. There's a shot where Josh reacts to it and laughs. So they, the movie even it's really subtle, but the movie even has them are like, oh, you made a joke, I get it. Of like Josh recognizing it versus an Avatar where everyone is talking about unobtainium with absolute seriousness and no awareness that that is a ridiculous name (laughs) and that's the james cameron hallmark because james cameron's gonna do one thing and that's gonna be give you the most ridiculous fucking scenario but make everybody assume it's real versus this where it's like okay we know this is this is this is a joke we know that unobtainium is a ridiculous name that's why he picked it because it's funny um but like one you know it is it like yes it's a stupid premise but from a science standpoint, it starts off with basic solid geology and it does a good like quick, he, his quick and dirty explainer of the structure of the earth is absolutely how you explain basic structure. Like that's it. You use the apple or you use the peach as an example, and it's got kind of roughly the same proportions of how thin the skin is versus the the meat of it. Um, so the movie does telegraph those science things really, really well and really efficiently. And I feel like kind of the key to these disaster movies is the idea that you need to, you want to have like, the basic premise is simple, You know, the core has stopped, whether or not that can happen, it's simple, it's clear, we understand it, and we're going to go from there and any science that goes from there you just got to assume is going to be made up. But the basic premise, the basic foundation is something we can all understand and fear. You know, like asteroid coming to Earth. That's the thing we get. Now, whether or not it's more efficient to put drillers on the asteroid than to teach (laughs) astronauts how to drill. That's a different question. You
1: can't teach astronauts to drill as well as these guys. They're so good at drilling. It is cheaper and more efficient to teach them how to be astronauts.
0: That's the thing. See, the cheaper is the key. I like The cheaper is the key in that one because you can train astronauts. I feel pretty confidently like astronauts aren't just don't start off as astronauts. They have other scientific backgrounds for a reason. I feel like you could get a couple geologists up onto that who would know how to drill it, but we're not, you know, but again, it's that idea of like you start with a premise that's really basic and does have like a foundation in something we can understand as a threat. And then, yeah, the rest of it's ridiculous. But if you can start with something really grounded and simple, we're good to go. They aren't making up. It's not like, oh, it turns out that the center of the Earth actually has hollow pieces that we need to eliminate. Like, they're not making up the science of why the Earth, ha- like, that is how the Earth's magnetic field works for understanding. We do know that the core mo- rotates. We do know that the core, that the magnetic poles change periodically. Like, we know these things. And then you just go from there and write some fantasy around it. But it is, it, like, in terms of the science itself, it's not great science, but it's not as bad. As it sounds when you think about a movie about going drilling into the center of the earth.
1: I I will say, I was hoping for a moment, every time they get to the part where there's nothing there, um, Mm. where there's nothing for the ship to get through. Every time that happens, I'm like, I wish this were a hollow earth movie, too. Just (laughs) (laughs) it'd be pretty funny if it were a hollow earth movie. I. I don't know if this counts for for the, for the podcast, but I am totally into the recent King Kong Godzilla movies. Yes. And Godzilla versus Kong reveals that the hollow earth is real. And it was like, uh-huh. I think it was the best part of the whole movie. Like, yes, more hollow earth material. It's an insane idea uh, that should it's be. so in the great. Movies. And so I was sort of hoping that this would also have a little, little hollow earth uh, uh, business, but
0: Yeah. I, I also am always like I so we we did we covered um we covered Kong and then Godzilla versus Kong for Kongzilla month when Godzilla versus Kong came out. So we did a whole month of it a few years ago. Um Shay Serrano came on to talk about Kong. The Hollow Earth thing of of Kong versus Godzilla, there's a show called La Brea, and I was so hoping La Brea was going to be because it looks like it could just come close to being a Hollow Earth show. And I was so hoping we were gonna get <laughs> Hollow Earth canonically in television. Um, yeah, more movies should have Hollow Earth because it's a bananas conspiracy theory. Just insane. Ab- everything about it is ridiculous and amazing. Uh,
1: I I I just got curious, and I'm trying to figure out wh- when the concept was first um, suggested. Hollow yeah, Hollow Earth. Uh, I think
0: it's early 1900s. It goes back pretty far.
1: Late 17th century.
0: Oh wow, it goes further than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they and they thought the Aurora Borealis was like basically indicated where like was was like vapors coming from the earth from the hollow earth and that's why there was aurora borealis was from was indicated places where you could access it's it's a very uh that that's like i think i would rather people believe hollow earth than flat earth at this point oh yeah I think yeah that's yeah. a more interesting conspiracy theory to believe in
1: uh flat earth is is total nonsense like easily yeah. disprovable by like an elementary school science experiment but hollow earth even though it's been disproved for a very long time
0: Yeah, like also very easily disprovable, but much more fun to believe in.
1: Right. Much, much funnier Uh, plugs in. You can you can do a whole crypto zoological world around hollow earth. No, it's perfect. Yeah,
0: it's great. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, the Meg, the Meg does sort of not do a full hollow earth. It's it's the premise is basically like there is a a thermocline layer. There's a layer of, of at the bottom of the ocean that we think is the bottom of the ocean it's actually a very thick layer of of water and then below that is a prehistoric waterland and that's where the megs all live um so they have sort of like the the water based hollow earth version but i think we need we deserve a, a premise in which if you go deep enough into the earth there's just more more land yeah. and dinosaurs and and dinosaurs cuz why not yeah, that's where dinosaurs, dinosaurs live
1: The whole land of the yeah. lost thing um, yeah
0: I do I do love the like the geo the giant geode sequence, partly just because it's one of those moments where you're just like, this is you can't do you can you can kill characters in any circumstance. You very rarely get to kill a character in a giant geode thousands, you know, hundreds of miles below the Earth's surface, as as gets pointed out by um by Josh Keyes. You know, it's it's a miraculous setup that you don't otherwise get to use. It's very specific to those circumstances, and I love that aspect of it. I love that creativity of it.
1: They so they, they burrow into the earth. Yeah, they, they they construct. So there's a whole sequence where they're constructing the machine and they're training and everything. Um, Alfred Woodard is in this film as one of yeah, the administrators. Yeah, we haven't
0: even yeah. About Al- Stick Stick yet. She's great.
1: <laughs> Stick's the best. Uh, yeah, she's she's wonderful. Uh, yeah, uh, she shows up and she's the, kind of the mission leader. Um, for this entire thing, I, I had. So this sequence when they're building when they're testing and building and everything is very much like a Manhattan project kind of thing and then I just had in my head I imagine a whole like Oppenheimer style movie about, <laughs> about the creation of this the this ship uh about how it dr- drove the creator mad or something I would watch that I would I would watch a movie an Oppenheimer style drama about Delroy Lindo's character mm-hmm. conceiving the device that saved the world in the core.
0: Oh, for sure. Especially because that's where we get Zimski originally too. So we would get to see the whole fall. Like there's a great drama of Delroy of Braz discovering and creating an obtainium and all these things. And then like the falling out with his partner Zimski and then what drives him to the desert to go develop his technology in the desert into- with no one around him. Like, yeah, I want to watch that movie. I also, this is, the sign of someone who's watched this film too many times. Um, the moment when that bird is perched on top of—he's he's like gonna—he's sh- showing everybody all of the toys, and he's gonna show them the gyroscopic contr- command center or whatever. And he pulls the the drop cloth off of it, and there's a bird perched on top, and he claps at it, and then says, "Ignore Johnson." And I asked, um, I, I because Twitter gives you access to people to an unhealthy degree, um, John Rogers, who wrote the script, is on Twitter and he's very active. And if you don't follow him, you should, um, especially because like when he talks about WGA and SAG labor stuff, it's really interesting right now. But also he's just a great follow. But I did ask, I tweeted him and asked him, you know, was how much of that was improvised? Was there supposed to be a bird in that scene? Did was that just and that's all Delroy just improvising apparently the clapping the ignore the bird like and he's named the bird when he is a throwaway line and ignore Johnson all of that all improvised by Delroy and I just everything about that makes me want to spend more time with Braz. (laughs) It's an incredible yeah yeah. It's, yeah, you're right. There is there's a great Oppenheimer-style movie about this guy inventing all these things. I want to know how he went up in that miserable desert. Like he's in the middle of the Mojave or something, just with a hanger drilling holes, laser holes into rock faces. It's incredible.
1: Great, and and to 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 a point that I made earlier, I love that they really don't try to, try to explain it at all. They're just like, listen, you know you know the archetype yeah. eccentric scientist. Of course he's out in the desert. Of course he's doing crazy things. Just let him show off his crazy things, and then the government will pay fifty billion dollars for them.
0: Exactly. Uh, Yeah, I know. I appreciate that they're not like, "Hey, we're going to explain to you the science of the laser." It's like, no, I don't need to know these things. I'm, I'm a simple creature. I don't need to understand. (laughs) Like, you tell me that if you pointed at a rock and vaporizes the rock, I'm going to go with that. You don't have to give me the physics of it. And I feel like there are a lot of movies that do try to weigh you down to make the science sound believable by adding more science. No, don't need it. Give me shiny objects there.
1: There is really this. And I don't know what Mm -hmm. caused it. Like, I'm not entirely sure what produced this tendency, but sort of like this tendency to really over explain things as if people don't know that they're watching a movie. I've always I've always felt this way about uh, superhero movies, especially one sort of like after the initial kind of like Mm -hmm. Marvel boom, when you had all these like origin movies and, you know, they're still doing origin movies, so they're still introducing characters, but they often even now have to go through this sort of like formula for introducing. And I don't understand why you can just be like, listen, yeah, it's a superhero movie. You've seen one of these before. So just like just here's yeah. a superhero. And if you need to learn more about their past, we can like do that uh, uh, throughout the movie and in, in little p- bits and pieces here and there but you don't have to devote an entire movie. Mm-hmm. I watched Black Adam a couple weeks ago, which is very bad. Um, don't let The uh, Rock
0: hear you say that. He will personally come and fight uh, you at this point. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, you, 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 you that is a joke, but The Rock has been sighted in Charlottesville, Virginia, <laughs> where I live. So he's it, on it, there's like a non-trivial sure chance least... that I could run into The Rock, and he's like... Uh, I don't, I don't, What I, I don't remember Dwayne Johnson's wrestling persona. I was about to do like, listen to no, your brother, but that's like the, a whole, he Hulk does, Hulk does the thing. The
0: rock is cooking is his thing, right? Like,
1: yeah, the, do you smell the rock is cooking? Um, anyway, he yeah, might give that the That is a thing elbow. that he could do. Um, yeah.
0: it's amazing right, that like, yeah, we're yeah. so detached uh, from the rock as a persona at this point, like as a wrestling persona that you can't even like, we're he's so far from that at this point that you can't pull it back.
1: It's yeah. like 20 years old at this point. Like it's been, it's, it's, it, it, it's, yeah, been it's, years, it's been years. And also there's like
0: not um, been any need to like, there's certain actors where are like, okay, well, he's still gonna like all of the athlete actors from the seventies and eighties, they were still like, and runner, you know, and sprinter. What I was, it, I can't remember anything.
1: and 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 uh football i was trying to dance around the oj
0: but like it's always you always (laughs) you're always it's always football star oj simpson he never became actor former football person like the rock i i fully believe there are people who have no idea the rock was ever a wrestler and that's wild
1: oh absolutely yeah
0: um but yeah the yeah d- d- back to your point about the, the hero about the hero movies about the the superhero movies that yeah the, you're right the they don't they do try to like ex. they have to explain everything which is not necessary ever
1: No in in this this movie the core is a perfect example of how yeah. it's just not necessary like you can give the most cursory explanation of a thing you're going to do in the movie and that's fine as long as the characters in the movie mm-hmm. accept it as fine the audience will too. And you can just like move on because you you know that you're watching a disaster movie. You don't need to be reminded uh, of that fact. And you can just build that in to how the script is going to move. People know they're watching the disaster movie. Uh, as you as you said, Amanda, you, you've given them a basic premise that they can understand. And anything after that is just sort of like explain as necessary and it's generally no. not very necessary. I mean,
0: and like the only moment in the rest of the film where they kind of have to explain some science is when they sort of set up the whole like we need to change how we deploy the nukes, and we need to use like have the waves essentially amplify each other, and then they explain some really simple wave theory stuff that people have seen from a, their own lives. Which whether or not you need to break it down that simply in those circumstances, I appreciate that they did for the viewers. I, you know, would assume that. Hilary Swank's character would understand basic physics Since she's a pilot But I don't so I'm glad that they broke that Down as an explanation <laughs> um, But you're right there's like There's a confidence that we've been here before There's like a okay you know the Rules of how this is going to work you, You'll you go with it That uh, You're right that m- superhero movies just Don't have which is crazy because Literally all we've been given for 20 years as As a culture in terms of What we understand how to watch a movie with Is superhero movies that's it. That's all we've gotten. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny because I was thinking last night about how uh, this is like these disaster movies really faded out, started to fade. I mean, we got them still. There's Geostorm, Geo Storm, There was 2012. There was Day After Tomorrow. There were other disaster movies. Um, But uh, yeah, Day After Tomorrow would have been right around the same time. But this is really the point where we start to see that shift away as the post 9-11 film world became very heavily superhero driven. And so it's kind of interesting that like, we're hitting this 20 year mark where we're starting to move away from those superhero movies again. And so I was trying to figure out what that says about us as like a viewing society. And I could not. um, But I do think it's really interesting. Like culturally, we seem to have moved away from whatever trauma nine 11 caused in our film viewing and are now starting to be like, "Mm, we don't need, we don't need superheroes as much. We can have normal humans again or Barbies.
1: That's, (laughs) or barbies um uh that's that's super interesting because i you know i've always thought of the 90s disaster Mm -hmm. movie boom not just disaster movie um because there were a ton of them and i think it's yeah oh yeah when you get two
0: volcano movies Um, and two comet or asteroid movies back to back like that that's a boom that's an that's an abundance i mean and then you've got like anaconda like we talked about all those things came right around the same time so yeah i'm on board
1: with boom um And then you also have not disaster movies, but sort of like humanity collecting, collectively solving Mm -hmm. a problem movie. So like Contact, um, uh, Sphere Sphere is what's called that one. Uh, I've always thought of those. And I guess this like plugs into my podcast as kind of representing um post cold war american sort of like what is the thing what is the threat Mm -hmm. what is the danger and sort of like it's those movies those two categories of movies represent two different things you have the one one part of it is can we come together to solve a problem in the absence of an external enemy and the other one is our external enemy is essentially Mm -hmm. nature itself we've mastered we've mastered our actual human enemies now that the existential threat to our uh to Pax Americana is uh mother nature herself is the earth itself. Yeah. is things beyond, right. It, it's, it's, it's aliens. It's something else, but um, it's uh, it's no longer our fellow human beings. And it would make sense that after nine 11, that really starts to, and it would make sense that 2003 and four kind of mark the, the end of that kind of movie, because in my mind, you know, that really does. These movies would have been in production yeah. right in 2002 or so. So it's sort of like you have, like, basically not quite pre 9 11, but not quite post 9 11 disaster movies. And then once the post 9 11 blockbuster starts showing up, it is again, it's superheroes, it's um, lone operatives, yeah. your Jason Bourne's. your Liam Neeson's. Uh, uh, it's all sort of like, oh, our enemies are humans mm-hmm. again. And uh, can we, can, we stop them what will it take to stop them um and uh it's gonna take you know a, a singular yeah, with like a
0: very special uh, set of skills gonna... that you don't have as a viewer like right. that's what's always so interesting is that's such an it's a shift away from like obviously this movie is a bunch of guys have or a bunch of people having heroic moments when they're they have no powers they have no abilities Zimsky's a theoretical scientist you know serge is just a dad Versus, like you said, the Jason Bournes, the Liam Neeson, his whole line is, I have a very special set of skills. And then superhero movies, things that we could never, it's a normal person who suddenly is bestowed with extraordinary abilities. You're right. This is, that's an interesting point about the move away from the collective, essentially.
1: Right. Move away from the collective and move away from, yeah, so it's sort of like more like, I guess, Democrat, Mm -hmm. lowercase d, democratic approach to what heroism is towards something much more singular. And maybe, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Maybe it's not, um, we're in this kind of not quite post-Trump, maybe post-Trump moment, this sort of worry and concern about uh, democratic life. If movies begin to transition back to ordinary groups of people, collectively Mm -hmm. solving problems, collectively saving the world, um, using skills that an ordinary person can have, that will be an interesting transition yeah. given kind of like the larger political
0: Yeah. Culture, I don't right? know. And, and I'm, I'm, I don't I think that's where we're headed. Um, I think where we're headed is sort of into this, like, it kind of feels like what we're doing a little bit in film right now, just looking at the last few years of film is sort of like, we're moving away. We're not going into a more democratic area. We're not going into a, a collective area. We're kind of heading into this sort of nihilism post- the, the lost generation kind of thing of like, well, let's just look at spectacle on screen. Like we're going very heavily into the yeah. idea of not even in an escapism way, but just like we need something so that's so much sensory that we have, like that's just so all consuming, which can be really fun. Like I think Barbie's a really good example of it. It's, there's, it's so sensory, there's so much going on and it's so much, and it's so fun and it's so escapist, but there's nothing about that movie that's like, got the grounded not groundedness because obviously it's not gonna be grounded, but like has the has the collectiveness that you would see it is it's not quite individualism. it's something else. It's something equally as unobtainable but and as as sort of elusive as the superhero movie, but in a way that feels less like we're watching because it feels safe and more like we're watching because it feels fun. And I don't totally know if that makes sense, yeah. but I do think that's kind of where we're headed. Um, even like Oppenheimer being huge and being so much like, I think the fact that those were two of the most successful movies this summer is pretty indicative of kind of like what we want to see from movies going forward, which is something that's so much and so overwhelming that it just, we don't have to think about anything else. And it, you don't have to sit there and think about the fact that you're sitting in a theater breathing and everybody else's used oxygen that has God knows what in it. Um, so I'd be curious, I'm, I'm curious to see if that's kind of, that sort of maximalism is sort of where we head from here um, because I I do think like uh, – and again, this might be partly from a book I'm reading right now, which is very much about like the destruction of the public good versus privatization. Um, I don't think we get back to this build a team kind of we're going to get a group of ragtag gr- folks together and these normal humans are going to save the world. I don't think we go there still. I don't think that – as a society, we're there anymore, which is a real fucking bummer from a movie standpoint and fucking devastating from like, a, what does that say about society standpoint? But I don't think we're at the ragtag banda, you know, the, the twister hangout movie anymore.
1: I, I think I think you're probably right there. I, I can't think of a, a movie that's like yeah. that that's come out recently and um
0: like there have been great cast movies like cocaine Bear has an incredible cast and has the hallmarks of like okay this is going to be one of those movies where you go back and like holy shit all of these people were in this but they're it's separate stories there it's not they're not all banding together there's yeah i can't think of any that have that the exception Um... of like again korean like if you look internationally you've got that with like there's some good korean movies that have like that sort of band together there's um and there's some good chi- like chinese disaster movies but that's partly because they're working off of the formula that we have in the 90s these feel like those feel like 90s movies that they are creating so it's it's obviously this is all like very limited to american cinema but in terms of what the american cinema looks like yeah i don't think we're going back to it unfortunately which is a bummer because you'll love i love a get the gang together sequence like this movie rolls out all of the characters like it's a heist movie Oh, yeah. When we get yeah, yeah. meeting Rat, uh, which, like, probably the weakest of the team in terms of, like, one, the character aspect, the character actor, and two, like, giving us a character we haven't seen before, he's a hacker and he's DJ Qualls. So we've seen this character before.
1: <laughs> Poor he, DJ Qualls. Yes. Yeah, Just, he, you, know. you know,
0: DJ Qualls. Listen, I-, I think no one came of age at a better time for his own career than DJ Qualls. DJ Qualls has the face yes. of a guy who knows what, who knows what a dial-up tone sounds like and like uh, dj qualls my apologies but it's true and there's no one better suited to be in that era than dj qualls um demanding his hot pockets and xena tapes uh
1: i think that's i think that's exactly right um it's funny i was just looking at his filmography his his first film was road trip so he's he's kind of he's a little post hackers because he would have fit right into hackers or the net or any one of those movies as um as a as a big computer nerd but yes he's introduced uh and uh uh even he yeah he's, he's he's a little bit more of an extraordinary guy the only language i speak is ones and zeros but uh you want me
0: to hack <laughs> the planet great line you want me to hack the planet means nothing but is perfect yeah, it, it's yeah. utter, it's no utterly we want nonsense. you to hack the internet not the planet the internet doesn't matter great line don't care tells you everything you need to know about
1: this dude uh Mm -hmm. can i just say real quick that 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 particular line it just there are lots of lines like Mm -hmm. that in lots of movies which are just kind of silly lines that just stick in my head they're not even sort of like showcase lines just like dumb lines that are delivered so well that i never forget them so the one that always sticks out is it's uh it's chris pratt Uh zero dark 30 when he's like um he has like two lines in that movie and one of them is um you're telling me we're gonna kill Osama <laughs> bin Laden? <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> uh I really that's love a, that like, line. That's uh, that's that's totally not nothing to do with our conversation, but I do like that line.
0: That's that specific kind of line in a movie that you watch a TNT, like you're a channel surfing, you see it on TNT, and you're like, okay, I am 10 minutes from Chris Pratt saying that line. I am sticking around. It's like the um the greatest line of all time, I, I would argue, maybe the greatest line delivery in all of cinema is James Vanderbeek say, or Varsity Blues saying, I don't want your laugh. <laughs> yeah. Like, it does not matter. Uh, I don't think that you could be alive the year that movie came out and, like, be speaking and not have said that sentence to another person at some point because it's such a ridiculous, like, it's it, the delivery is the pause is weird. The accent in that whole film is doing a lot of work. But it's so good. It's such a great clip moment that you're like, it, it sticks with you for forever. And you want me to hack the planet. Absolutely, you know, falls in there for me as well.
1: So what else, what else is there to say? I mean, plot, yeah. we've kind of gone through the plot. They they have to. I, my
0: feeling about the plot is if you earn- need us to summarize the plot of this movie at this point, you need to stop listening to this podcast because the entire, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, this is now the only movie that we will have covered twice on this podcast because it is my favorite movie of disaster movie, maybe of all time. Watch the fucking movie guys. If it takes, if if I can't, if Jamel uh, and I can't sell you on this, then I don't know why you're here.
1: I mean, the, the, the solution for the problem is they have to yes. nuke the core. Uh And it's, they just talk about it matter. Of, uh, yeah, well, of course, obviously what you're going to have to do is detonate. Some, you know, 100 megaton nuclear devices at the core. What else are you going to do to restart it? It's what you got to do. It's like throwing cherry (laughs) bombs into a lake. I
0: love it. I love it when the solution is nuke it. Like, I think that's such a, it's one of my favorite sort of, it's it's very much like a 90s solution to disaster movies is we should try nukes. And I think it's a really interesting way of trying to grapple with like the post cold war we've got a lot of nukes now and we're not supposed to use them but we do have them what are we supposed to do with them can we turn them into something good it's like this weird it's this weird bit of like irony guilt that we aren't quite ready to fully grapple with and we're not ready to to de to denuclearize or whatever our our country but we are willing to to play with the idea that we can use nukes for good that aren't used on humans and i think that's always like one of those because it, it it really is only in the 90s a disaster film that we see it it starts to drop out again by the 2000s you know by the late 2000s you're totally mm-hmm.
1: right because Armageddon it's like we're yeah. going to nuke the asteroid deep impact they're like mm-hmm. we're going to nuke the asteroid and deep impact it doesn't work um in uh what else in independence day they tar- tra- they they attempt to mm-hmm. nuke the aliens uh, and that doesn't work. I mean, it, it's sort of funny. The nuke is used. The nuke, which represents sort of like the pinnacle of human destructive power, is used in those movies to demonstrate sort of like the the implacability of yeah. the obstacle. Right. You, you We try to nuke the asteroid and it only causes it to break into more pieces. And so what are we going to do next? We try to nuke the aliens and they shrug it off. And so, how you know we truly are fucked? What else can we do if we? can Yeah, it's nuke it's this very
0: it, it, nukes become sort of like our version of a cheat code, and if that's how we know whether or not something is so overpowered that even our cheat codes don't work, because like it is, there's no there's no explanation for why any of these why you're gonna nuke these things other than it's the biggest possible explosion we can make, and we're not gonna talk about what any of the fallout will do. It's gonna be fine, and. It really, like, it's almost an interesting sort of after, you know, was it 30, 40 years of people living in absolute terror of dying by nuclear explosion? It's fascinating that it then so quickly becomes, this will be a harmless thing we can try to solve our problem. Like, we're going to throw it at our problems.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, just to to sidetrack a little bit, it is interesting how nukes, it's like nukes fell out of public concern in the 90s because hey the soviet union doesn't exist anymore we don't have you know we're not not worried about nuking each other it came back in the 2000s because of terrorism um you don't want that you don't want the smoking gun to be a mushroom cloud uh condoleezza rice um but it was like not the fear there wasn't we'd obliterate ourselves it was just sort of like it'd be really awful if like new york got vaporized with a nuclear weapon um, by, by, or, or, or DC were irradiated by a dirty bomb.
0: It became very localized. Whatnot. There wasn't a fear of like yes. obliteration that, you know, there was no fear of mutually assured de- destruction. It was just this fear of like, we're going to get attacked and it'll be isolated in a little area, which is not necessarily the, the proper fear to have when we start talking about nuclear weaponry. It's not like, oh, well it's going to hurt a far, right. a 20 block radius. Like, mm. We need to get a little bigger than that. We need to get a little bit more macro. But I do kind of wonder if that links back to like the way that we also move to superheroes and the fact that like superheroes are only saving every single every Marvel movie takes place in New York. There is you if you don't want to have to deal with superheroes fighting in your backyard, you just have to move out of Manhattan. You can go to Staten Island and they probably are going to leave you alone. (laughs) Go to Westchester. You're safe. It's literally just Manhattan.
1: You just you're in a, you're in Astoria and you're like what do you see like Iron Man like what are you doing here? Your
0: borough. Why are no. you here? Like it's the the density. Every different every four blocks in Manhattan you walk and it's a different it's a different superhero's territory. And then if you go to Scarsdale you're fine. So I I wonder right. if that's kind of those two things are kind of linked in terms of how we decided to start segmenting like where threats exist. Um, but yeah, it's yeah yeah the the. God, I love that. I love everything about... It. I love Josh fully picking up plutonium with his his hands.
1: Oh, yeah. I think yeah. you can do, certainly. Well, yeah, he no, does. no, no I issues there. at least there. he
0: does have the burns. Like, we see he's got burns, and uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Josh doesn't make it many more years after that. But at least there's, like, immediate consequences. I do appreciate that there, there's never, like, a superhuman thing that also you're like, and uh, that would have probably destroyed his hands. At least here you're like, hmm. Okay, he had gloves and they didn't work that well.
1: Sequel to the core twenty <laughs> it's years later. Stirring
0: drama about Josh's, Josh's insides melting.
1: <laughs> Josh oh. is in the cancer ward. Um, and he, and the government yeah, will pay for his care. That's what the movie is about.
0: Absolutely what that movie is about.
1: Movie is about the American just like Saw Five is about uh-huh. the American healthcare system, the core two <laughs> is about the American healthcare, healthcare If you know system. anything
0: about the like the John, John Rogers has also done. Um, he also was the creator of the Leverage and of the, the Leverage series. So that is absolutely the kind of movie show that he would also make later. is about the failures of, and then like maybe, you know, maybe Josh can show up in Leverage and the team can steal his steal his deserved severance or whatever. Because you're right, that's absolutely the sequel. I do think long term because like the one thing about this movie that no matter how many times I've watched it does not work for me i love aaron eckhart in this movie because he's giving a weird ass performance um he he's giving a very very strange like he's fun he's charming he also has the kind of wild-eyed awkwardness i'm like you know what this tracks is like the most charming professor but still can't be outside of a working like can't be outside of a classroom without being still and
1: weird right right still an academic yeah, exactly geologist. like
0: i watch I'm like okay you know what i can that tracks um and hillary swink is making performance choices um that aren't bad but aren't right for the character based on what the movie is asking her to do against josh which is have chemistry and
1: yeah that 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 is the one weak point we just don't they really have no chemistry
0: they are colleagues yeah.
1: I'll say it, I'll say it this way. You could imagine <laughs> Delroy Lindo and Stanley Tucci kissing each other in this movie. Yes. You could imagine them giving each other a little smooch. They
0: they do seem there there's an ex-boyfriend's component to it that's really strong. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: I there's no I there's no sexual chemistry between between Aaron Eckhart and and Hilary Swank
0: and the thing is is like there is respect and there is awe there's that sequence where like there's a there's the the closest we come to them having a sort of heat is like she's tying his tie before he goes to speak to the joint chiefs or whatever and he she says he says basically is there anything you can't do and she says no and he says I find that incredibly intimidating and she says most people do And his, I find that incredibly intimidating, is so close to being a really sexy sentence. Yes, so close. But he's almost too earnest, which is what the moment calls for. There's no reason he should be thinking about boning down with this woman. Like, the world's gonna end. You have other priorities. I get it. What the movie is asking of us, though, is to believe that he kind of does want to bone down with her and we're not getting that from him and we're not getting anything from her. And you know, you watch the end of the movie and I'm just like, I always I always try to imagine what their lives are going to be like afterward. I'm like, the two of them are going to be great friends who go to dinner and her girlfriends are always like, man, what, what's your deal with Josh? He's so handsome. She's like, oh, great friend, great guy. Love him.
1: <laughs> like she is
0: never not, I don't believe in the term friend zone because that's bullshit.
1: Yes, that's I, bullshit.
0: I do. But it is like objectively true that there are some people that you look at and you're just like. I can't. I'm never going to be able to see this person sexually. I can't do it. I'm not this isn't it. And I 100% see like that's where she is with him. I have lots of guy friends. Where I'm like this man is so handsome objectively and there is not a world in which I would ever be attracted to him like sexually. I just can't do it. Um and th- their their lives are just as good for it, honestly. Probably for the best for them as well that I have no sexual attraction to them. Let's all world is better off when I'm not. Um <laughs> but it is that, like, I can completely see that for her while he's kind of like, like, he just has moved on from it completely. There's no, there's, this is not a relationship that lasts. There is, I feel like, Josh I feel like, I feel like Josh and Bex are going to go on one date after this and have a lovely time and then hug at the end.
1: It's, do they even, do they even kiss at the end in this movie? I don't think they I don't they think do. they do.
0: No, he had, they have like a tender moment, but they don't kiss.
1: Because there's a version of this movie where the two characters have more chemistry, mm-hmm. where they kiss and then, like, fucking Incubus plays.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a version uh, where, like, they get pulled up to the surface and the hatch opens and he, like, puts his arm around her and smiles and throws his fist up at DJ Qualls and then kisses her. Like, there is that version of this movie.
1: The, so what it is, the version I'm thinking, I, I, there's, there's I have an image in my head in a movie that ends like this. It's like the fifth element ending. Mm-hmm. It's like they they find them kissing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's how the movie ends with like, you know, again, with like some new metal or something. Yeah, you know, like, absolutely. Uh, yeah.
0: there There's a couple of made for TV disaster movies that I've watched that like end basically with the, you know, the grad student sidekicks running up and seeing in the distance the the hero making out just fully completely engrossed in the task at hand. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that this movie doesn't do it. I imagine that there was probably some pressure to get that. um And I, I but it, it's. I I I wouldn't change like I don't have fantasy castings there's literally nobody in this film I would change um but I do think there if changes had to be made it would probably be in either changing out Aaron Eckhart or changing out Hillary Swank and I'm probably going to change out Hillary Swank in this because it's the she's the character who feels the most like you can see her trying to recite lines that are not words she would normally say
1: you know who would be good in this role? Mm. Sw- swap them out. Um Julia Stiles.
0: Oh. Yeah, Julia Stiles is a great swap out. Julia Stiles uh, is, would be a great disaster heroine. Um
1: yeah. because she has that like seriousness vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh but she could she also has just like a ton of chemistry with people on screen. It's yeah. like an unbelievable amount of chemistry. Uh, I think she'd be great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the thing is, is Bex is really really wry, which is a great trait because we don't often get, like, a wry character in a woman. Um, And she, because she is, she's, like, it's, she's got a sense of humor. She's very self-aware. And she's got, and she's got a real, like, confidence to her that we, and all of those are things we don't normally get in this kind of a character, which is awesome. But it's the, there's something about Hillary Swank that doesn't quite do it. And Love the idea of Julia Stiles. She would have been too young, unfortunately, in this era.
1: Uh, yeah, but
0: she's a a great swap in as a as a modern day. Love to see her playing a scientist.
1: And I was just thinking, there aren't that many movies where the cast is all scientists like this. Yeah. I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of any 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 other any other kind of flick of this of this sort where all of our heroes are just like big old nerds.
0: Yeah, there's really not. I mean, especially in the like Twister. This, this i this movie doesn't exist i don't think without twister like yeah equally a cast of weird lovable nerds with very specific interests but these characters are absolutely like less weird every single one of these characters you can at least invite to dinner with your parents and won't have to explain the person afterward like braz is yeah. eccentric <laughs> by the time we meet him but braz can sit down to a normal like braz could absolutely meet your parents and be charming I couldn't say the same for Dusty from Twister. Dusty's an acquired Like, Dusty... My parents would meet Dusty and afterward be like, so how do you know him again? Like, that would be the question. And they would assume I knew him from Twitter. (laughs) You're right. That's a really good point, though, about the fact that this is this accumulation of just nerds. Because normally you have at least, like... Because even the Bruce Greenwood character is the closest we get to military brass. I mean, Hilary Swank's character is a military baby and all that, but... She's a pilot, which is sort of a different kind of. Bruce Greenwood's the one who has the most military attitude to it, and even he isn't. He's not. He's not the. He's not the one. The general barking orders. He's the sort of yeah loving father figure that is trying to hold the team together. Actually, Alfred Woodard is the one who's trying to hold the team together. She's the stick. Is truly the the backbone of this film to a large degree. Once we get her on on the comms.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: But yeah, is there I feel like we've pretty much gone through everything to talk about this time around with this movie. Is there anything with the core that you're like, I need to this is one more thing that I have to yell about?
1: I don't think so. We've, we've kind of touched the thematic things as yeah. well. I do. I do consider this is very much part of the, um, you know, can can America tackle problems collectively sort of sort of movie, a yeah. movie that is very much in dialogue with the late nineties being this period of like World War II remembrance for right? so like oh, the greatest generation collectively, you know, beat the Nazis and Imperial Japan, which, you know,
0: yeah, but, which obviously complicated,
1: like, yes. but that was what, how we, how we talked about it. And so it's like, can is, is this generation of Americans capable of doing that sort of thing? And so you have all these movies that are basically like kind of how, you know, I mean this, I mean this movie, as we've been saying, has kind of like this Manhattan project element to it, mm-hmm. sort of can, America put its mind to a problem and solve that problem, whether that is beating an opponent or jumpstarting the earth.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. This is absolutely a movie that's very much about American ingenuity. I mean, this is, it, it, it's interesting because like, We now see with disaster movies a lot more of and, you know, they bring in China. They bring in because we even the movies themselves are a lot of the time like American Chinese co-productions because the international market is such a big part of it. And this is kind of like one of those last movies that was completely isolationist in that way, too, where like we don't. But in, in reality, are there not like other governments calling and asking the U.S. government, why is this happening? What did you do? Like, there are other scientists who would absolutely start to notice these things. It's the suspension of disbelief is that, no, it's only going to be this one scientist. But after a certain point, you got to wonder, like, is no other government jumping in on this. Does anybody is there somewhere else is like in Korea? Do they have their own Virgil? Because that's amazing. Yeah. I like if there if there are several several different ones, probably there are probably multiple scientists working on this right now. But we don't get to see them because this is the era where only America can solve the problems.
1: Right, right. We, yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. exactly only, only the United States has the capacity, the smarts. There's still sort of like the very much post-Cold War um, American optimism on one hand. Yeah. You, know, you could say arrogance as well. The sense it's sort of like, well, obviously we are the most advanced country in the world. And obviously, if there's anyone who could do this, it's going to be us. Contrast that with not quite a disaster movie, but like Arrival, where it's very much yeah. sort of like, well... To tackle this problem, America is going to have to cooperate with other countries. Um, and, and if we don't cooperate, then we won't be able to solve the problem.
0: Yeah, I I do uh, consider Arrival a disaster movie for sure. Like it's in the same way that like Independence Day is a disaster movie. These are all movies about, you know, the the exterior threat and the fear. But and, and Arrival follows the format. It has the great Arrival. If you actually look at the beats of Arrival, the first 20, 30 minutes of Arrival, not totally different than the character beats of this movie. You have... Amy, Amy Adams character hosting a lecture that sets up a lot of things about like the importance of language and nuance to language because she talks about how in Portuguese or I think it's like, oh, early Catalanian or something that like language was an art in a way it wasn't just a way of expression, but it was like an art form in and of itself, which sets up the idea that the um, the the aliens are going to use language differently than we do and then she is met by the government is there in her office to ask her questions with her area of expertise, just like Joss gets sent to the government facility to figure with Surge to figure out why everyone's dropped dead. And then she, you know, parts ways, then comes back to them again. Like, these are all the same. These are these very, very straightforward disaster movie setup beats, um, which are some of my favorite tropes of all time is the come and get the... The government getting the expert is one of my favorite is one of my favorite disaster movie tropes because it's like, who doesn't live in fear that one day the government is just going to show up at your office and be like, I'm sorry, you have to come with us.
1: <laughs> of course Whitaker shows up at my house. Jamel, we can only solve this problem with the, the skill of a, a columnist. Yeah,
0: <laughs> We need no one knows movies from the 80s and early 90s better than you. And, our, and, and we've got somebody who's sending out clues based entirely around Wesley Snipes's career.
1: Our top researchers can't figure it
0: (laughs) out. Like that's a, there's no greater moment than the, when, when they show up to ask for the help, like, I love that beat. So yeah, I do Arrival and this are, are very, I actually are not, I don't think are dissimilar, which is probably why they're two movies. I really enjoy back to back. Like I enjoy them in conjunction with each other because yeah, they're just playing off these tropes that are such great nineties movie tropes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a perfect film. I really do. It's a perfect film. Uh, you, you know, the o- you, my you, only you? my only complaint is that there's no tectonic plates near Hawaii. The only complaint. <laughs> it is, is as super, super, super basic geology. There's no tectonic plates near Hawaii. It's one big plate. The Pacific plate
1: is huge. Oh, I didn't realize that. There you go. Yeah.
0: No. Pacific plate stretches all like you don't get to a tectonic plate boundary until you're either at California or the, you know, the Ring of Fire is essentially the edge of the tectonic plate boundary for the Pacific. So think about how big the Ring of Fire is. Think about where Hawaii is located. There's no plate boundaries. Am I okay with it anyway? I can forgive this movie, this one thing. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely
0: I can. I can, you know, there. it's hot. He's been exposed to plutonium. Like maybe Josh got confused. But yeah, so do you, you know, moving into the what is this really movie really about? Do you think there's a subtext to it? Do you think there's a what is the do you have one?
1: I don't other other than my my sort of political context. Thing, I don't think there's a subtext here. I think it's I think it's very much sort of like, hey, got to jump start the earth. Core has stopped. So let's uh, let's do that. Um, I don't think there's there's much else there, which is OK. This is a kind of a perfect little popcorn film. Um, yeah. Uh, no need for subtext. So.
0: I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I I do on watching this. I this was the first time I've ever watched it and really like thought about the differences of the way that some of the deaths are like heroic versus brave. Like I said, with Delroy Lindos being the only death where he really knowingly walks into death and the way that that kind of is different than the other deaths. And um, I do think there's something really interesting about the way that this movie is about like a bunch of very ordinary people doing extraordinarily brave things. Um, and how different that is from pretty much everything we get after that point. Um, but I agree. And I don't think I I don't I didn't go back and listen to see if I had a, a what was this movie really about at the time when we did the first episode of this. Um, but I am going with I don't I think this is a movie about restarting the core. Yeah. And I think that's all it needs to be. I don't know. I, I think that's that's all we need. Like and to a an degree, like, yeah, I do. I do agree about the idea of the American ingenuity and like the the Manhattan Project aspect which makes me think about the idea of like, well, what could we have achieved as a society if we properly funded scientific research by the government? Like, if the government properly funded scientific research instead of outsourcing a bunch of it to private the private sector, that's definitely a conversation in question. A thing I'm thinking about a lot currently, but I think this movie is just about restarting the core using nukes. Yeah, 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 and I and that's and that's all it needs to be. <laughs>
1: Uh, so I, I have to I have to yeah. rank this out of towering infernos.
0: Yeah, yeah. If, uh, five towering infernos. You can do partial. Okay. Um, but scale of one to five.
1: I would give this four towering infernos, not five, because I mean, it, I I love I genuinely love yeah. this movie. I would not call it a good movie. Uh, I I would, okay. I would call it I would call it a a very enjoyable film that accomplishes what it's trying to do, but it does have, it does have its problems. Uh, Not so much that would ever dissuade me from not watching it. I just realized I was like, after I, after I rinsed it on iTunes when I watched it this morning and I was like, you know what, if I, at this point I have watched this movie twice, I'm almost certainly going to watch it again. So I should probably own a physical copy. And there is, a recent 4K mm-hmm. release.
0: I was gonna say, yeah, there's. It was recently re-released, Whereas I think it's a for tes- the 20th anniversary. I think it's a
1: testament to its. So like, I think this movie really does have kind of a cult following. I think it. Uh, every time I've tweeted about it, there have been lots of people been like, "Yeah, that movie fucking rocks." Um, yeah. Uh, no pun intended. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I give it four, four, four towering infernos. Um, which for me is is that's a high rank.
0: I think that's a real like this movie. If you ask someone who hadn't seen it how many towering infernos they think this movie deserves, I think they would not expect four.
1: Yeah. They'd be like, "Oh, this like, is I'm going to give it one yeah. or two No, it, this is this is this is a fun movie. uh It's it's
0: a top tier movie from 2003. Yeah. Like it, it was absolutely. I I I love that it is. You know, I I. I love that you I was so excited when you came to it because of that. I was like, fuck, yeah, we're going to get the critical reexamining finally, because if Jamel's talking about it, people are going to fucking watch it. And then I'm not going to be the only crazy person (laughs) who has watched this movie at least 10 times. Um, And yeah, I think like in the same way that, you know, we're starting to revisit things from the 90s and 2000s. Like, were we too hard on that? Or is this actually really fun? This is one that deserves that reexamination. Absolutely. I think
1: it does. I think it what I think it one hundred percent one hundred percent deserves a reexamination and a reappraisal. Um, not just in comparison to kind of modern blockbusters, but just sort of like as a, you know, looking at the the landscape of blockbusters in the early two thousands, this really does stand apart. It is it's a good it's 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 a a great popcorn flick you put this on it's like the middle of august right now right like you put this on on a projector outside on a nice summer night and people are gonna have a great they're gonna have a great time
0: yeah oh there's this is a this absolutely they're gonna have a good time you can definitely make some drinking games out of this movie if you try hard enough like there's ways to do it i i just let people enjoy things And this is one of the great let people enjoy things movies, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, well, Jamel, before I send you on your way, um, and before I have to clock into my day job, (laughs) uh, (laughs) as I sit here very quietly trying to like enter my login information, um, where can we find you? Is there anything you want to promote? Do you do you happen to you know write for an esteemed newspaper or anything? Anything you'd like to share with the people before you. leave? Well,
1: opinions do differ about my employer, but I uh, right. am a columnist for the New York Times. Uh, <laughs> you can find my column uh, Tuesdays and Fridays. And I have a weekly newsletter as well for the Times. Um, but what I feel like more relevant to this podcast is I also have a podcast. It is called Unclear in Present Danger. It is about the political and military thrillers of the, cold, of the post-Cold War year of the 90s and what they say about the politics uh, of that period. Our next film that we're going to do is Dead Presidents by the Hughes Brothers, um, which is a, sort of a heist movie uh, about some Vietnam vets, a movie I really like, and I think uh, it's going to be a great conversation. We just recorded a Patreon episode on um, the, the Lost Honor of Katerina Bloom, a 1975 German kind of political thriller that's very good. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, it's funny the Patreon we kind of just really be, get way nerdier about our conversations. We talk a lot about like the you know West German politics in the seventies. Uh, and that oh god, put. yeah, that's <laughs> real niche. There, <laughs> Very yeah. niche. Um, Amanda, you were on an episode on Passenger Fifty Seven, uh, the Wesley Unbelievable Snipes time film. Time
0: on that, yeah.
1: Great movie, great episode. Uh, y'all should listen to it. But yeah, that's that's where that's where you can find me. We have uh between the Patreon and the main feed, we have an episode every week. Uh, and uh, it's talking about talking about movies. If I had to recommend uh, a place to start with, unclear pod start with Amanda's episode, and also we did we revisited the hunt for red October last year, so you can you can check that out. Oh, too. cool. Okay, yeah.
0: I have several episodes. I I love I your pod's great, and it's really fun, and they're mostly movies I've never seen before because I have a huge gap in my knowledge of like 80s and 90s, particularly action movies. And I've been revisiting and like finally watching a lot of those over the last, over the summer.
1: I'm always, de- and so finally. I'm always delighted when I see one of your tweets and you're like, I'm rewatching this. I'm like, oh man, she's going to have such a good time.
0: I have Yeah, like all of these are new to me. Every single one of these. And it's generally speaking, it's like, I know maybe the premise or I have some interpretation of what the premise seemed like when I was nine. And that's what I've stuck with since. And it's been great to reexamine. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of, a lot of your podcast still doesn't make sense to me because I have just zero <laughs> point of reference for any of it. Um, but every time that it's like, oh wait, I've seen this now. I can wa- I can listen to the episode now. And it's always so great. So yeah, strong recommend for 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 your pod. Cause as somebody who doesn't particularly know about I love the I love the the way that you set it up every of of setting it up with the front page of the, the newspaper from that year. And like, okay, that gives context, which is necessary if you're going to talk about it that way. So I think it's like, it's just, I love your the format of it. I love everything about that podcast. So good job. Listen to it guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, thank you so much for coming back to talk about my favorite movie, disaster movie. <laughs> so this was, this was great. Thank you again. Yes.
1: My pleasure. As always, if you uh happy, happy to talk uh, any kind of movie, any disaster movie, I'm sure I will think of something that will be appropriate for the podcast again. So.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're coming back. If, if, if you've got another movie that you want to talk about, you're always, 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 please, repeat visitor. And we'll be back in two weeks with Bobby Wagner from the Tipping Pitches podcast. He's going to be joining us to talk about the 2002 movie Signs. Um, so, yeah, I'm revisiting some M. Night Shyamalan. This was also the only disaster movie that either of us could think of that had anything to do with baseball. So you can find Signs on um, Max, and then, of course, rentable everywhere. And in the meantime, I'm Amanda Smith Says on Twitter. We are Disaster underscore pod on Twitter. If you haven't already, please take a few seconds, rate and review, share the podcast with other people. Um, it's a tremendously helpful. And, uh, oh, of course, disastergirls.myshopify.com for a ton of uh, merch that I have created because graphic design is my passion, apparently. Anyway, see you all back in two weeks on August 30th for Signs with Bobby Wagner. Bye.